Will you pour me just a, a skosh of that uh, there? Butter's Revenge. If you don't mind, good sir. Gotcha. It's a new word I learned recently. Skosh. Skosh. It's descriptive. I like it. I knew what you meant. You didn't have to explain it. It's one of those words like, is it real? Oh, is it's it real, re- Perry. Is it a real word? It is now. Okay. Like, so are we talking like Perry poor real or are we talking like Webster's real? <sighs> it's probably Perry poor real. And just knowing you as a person, Perry poor, comparing to a skosh, it's probably more like a regular poor. <laughs> <laughs> everybody to another episode of the Smurf Podcast. I'm your host Perry and I got Swan with me. Hey! Hey Swan! <laughs> uh, we're doing something different this week. I got sent these samples from the Bardstown Bourbon Company a couple weeks ago. Well actually really last week. And I was, I was able to go there back in February and saw the, the preview for these products that they sent samples of. And I recorded a bunch of audio from it. I've never released that audio, so I wanted to kind of frame our review of these products and a short little conversation as well about the Bardstown Bourbon Company with that audio. So you're going to get a little bit of a different take on the format for the show this week. I think it's going to be kind of cool. So, yeah. Well, first off, Swan, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah. <laughs> Got here just in time. You did. You did indeed. Swan, what have you been drinking recently? Uh, not a whole lot. I've, um, I just got some Knob Creek. I didn't get a pick. I wanted to go back and actually just try the regular nine year, mm. um, that they put out. So I found a store that had just the regular nine year on the shelf, old label, picked it up. It's solid. You kind of forget how good it is just to have a regular nine-year-old bourbon because yeah. they constantly put out the 12, 13, 14, even 15-year mm-hmm. picks. Still a good base. Now, you're, you're talking about the single barrel. Yes, right? the single barrel, the 120 proof. Yeah. Um, so, they, I think they did away with the age statement on the other stuff, they right? They did. Yeah. They did, yeah. But, no, it's it's definitely solid. Um you know, there's the whole rumor floating around that maybe the single barrels are kind of dying down a little bit, or maybe they're doing less of them. But I'm not going to be too upset if we get stuck with a nine-year bourbon at a decent price yeah. point. So yeah, I agree. You know, I I don't know when the last time was that I actually had just the straight nine-year single barrel, just the regular on-the-shelf nine-year single barrel. So I might have to do the same and go back to it. Yeah, I know when I first started drinking, I had quite a few of them because I was like, it's 120 proof. I'm finally into high proof stuff and I pick it up and it's just cheap, good, solid. I I remember it being so consistent for a single barrel Uh on the shelf, which is nuts because when you get into the picks and stuff, they are wildly different. Oh, yeah. Some of them are, you know, almost bookers like and some of them are kind of just, you know, not maybe not your profile, but they're just wildly different. So it, it's it's nice to have some variety, and then also have a product that you know you can go back to that's relatively similar every time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I've been kind of lucky in the bourbon department. Recently. Yes, you have. Yeah, things have been um, very very 
what's the word I'm looking for? Fruitful. Fortunate. Fortunate. Oh, it's been great. Yeah. I have not been upset with the things that I have acquired recently or have gotten to try. My best friend Austin was over. Uh, he was actually in town this past week for a couple of days. So he came over to the house and we cracked open a pre-fire Heaven Hill bottled and bond, which, you know, we all have a soft spot for. Oh gosh, let's see. What else? I finally found this new uh, pin hook that everybody's been talking about, the cast strength pin hook with the pink wax on top. I'm excited to try that. Probably going to do that on this week's live stream on Thursday night. Uh, you're actually going to be getting a bonus episode this week, too, on the main feed where we're going to be reviewing two brand new releases for Rose's Small Batch Select in the, oh, I'm so excited for it, the Wilderness Trail Rye Bourbon. Yes. Which just came out this past Saturday. Oh, man. And the batch on it? Oh, oh, one. Oh, oh, one. It's Heck nuts. yes. <laughs> I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm really excited for it, too. But before we get to any of that with the bonus episode and, and whatnot, we do have some stuff we got to take care of for this episode. So, again, what you're about to hear is audio from when I was at the Bardstown Bourbon Company back in February, where they did a preview of the Pfeiffer Pavit bourbon release. Um, I have tried all three of the products that they sent us and I'm excited to revisit them again. But what you're basically going to hear is a couple of different workshops where they guided us through the tastings of each of these three products. And then there's going to be a short little interview as well that I did with, uh, the founder, David Mandel, Steve Nally, one of their master distillers, John Hargrove, the other one, and Suzanne Pfeiffer Pavitt, who is, uh, the... The Ventner, or a Ventner, uh, from the uh, Pfeiffer Pavitt Wine Company out in California. So that's a, a fun, quick little conversation that you'll get towards the end of this. But uh, I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other end. Enjoy! So, what we're going to do now is we're going to take you through, the Steve and Suzanne are going to take you through the development of this product. And of course, that product is the Pfeiffer Pavit Reserve Bourbon, which is the first in our new collaborative series. Our collaborative series tells the story of two great artists, two great companies coming together to make an exceptional product. And so here you're going to see, we're going to take you through how we developed that from the raw bourbon, from finishing it in the wine barrels, to the final product. And it is a story that is just a much, as much about people and working together and the great symmetry there as it is about the final result. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Suzanne and Steve, and I believe, Suzanne, we're going to start with the wine, and we're going to go through each product here and okay. talk about them. Excellent. Just throw me right there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, well, at Pfeiffer Pavit, we're very specific in our approach to making wine. We believe that the wine is actually made in the vineyard. And so our job is to gently cajole it from the vineyard into the bottle. And there's a lot of things that go into that. First of all, we're organically and sustainably farmed. Uh, all of our fruit is hand-picked. 
hand-sourced. We do single terroir-driven wine, so this is all from the same vineyard. Um, this is 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, on some of our other Cabernets, other being a couple of other, we're a very small shop, we add a little Petit Verdot, but this is 100% Cab. So when we bring it back to the winery without giving you a full in-depth winemaking education, we need a little more time on that. We hand sort uh, every berry, and then we're going, we go through the de-stemming process, we run it through, put it in the fermentation tanks. The key that I think differentiates our wine from maybe others, and also allows it to have this great approachability in its youth, because this is a 2015, so I haven't actually fully released this. This is in a pre-release. I hold my wines for a minimum of three years before I release them. I pushed it up just a tiny bit, as we were going to be tasting it and drinking it today. So uh, 2015 for us, it'll go through the fermentation process. Basically, it's your high school <coughs> botany, right? So the yeast eats the sugar, it goes through this whole process of ultimately turning into alcohol. And so what we do is we can't rush it. Uh, for some people, there is a very specific timeline in making wine. Because we are organically sustainably farmed, and because we do what's called a natural or indigenous yeast um, approach, a wild yeast fermentation, that yeast is already present in the vineyard. So we don't kill it by doing unnatural things in the vineyard. So when you use a, a wild yeast that's already present there, the wine maintains that beautiful full body flavor, but those tannins are much softer and more approachable. So I'm not gonna ask anyone to show their hands, but just as a little tangential discussion on tannins. The tannin approach it can also be nicknamed the sweaters on your teeth. <laughs> Have you ever drank anything and then you just like feel like your lip almost gets stuck? Like, like I don't know if I like this, I'm not sure. So when you drink a really young wine or a very high acidic tannic wine, that's what will happen. We try to have that approach be really uh, homogenous and seamless. So the wild yeast takes its time. It may finish fermentation in two weeks. It may finish in two months. The most we will typically be is about three and a half months. So we wait very, very patiently for the wine to finish. Then we basically do stabilization, put it in the bottle. Uh, it stays in the barrel, excuse me, we put it in the barrel. We're in our French oak barrels. We're 100% French oak. It'll be in the oak barrel from uh, anywhere from 18 to 22 months. Depends, we'll continue tasting three. We want that nice full body. We do three different toast levels. We'll do a medium and a medium plus plus toast. So we want that tannic structure because you want to be able to drink this wine today, but you also, if you're a collector, you want to lay it down for 25 plus years, and our wine will cross the gamut of both those. Miss Kim's been to our place. She can, I could call her out on questions. Um, so in the barrel for almost 19 months uh, on this particular vintage, and then we put it in the bottle, and it's there for another 19 months. So a minimum of three plus years in the aging process before we will even allow our clients to see it. Well, there's a question. Uh, yes, sir. Do you, this is, do you do you any manipulation during fermentation by, adds, by adding sugar or Zero. I don't add anything. That's called cheating. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a cheater. Cheaters never win. 
guilty of I'm guilty of a few things, but uh, one thing that I am absolutely adamant is being intentional. Intentional on everything I do. This is a very intentional process of what we do in making wine and, and making spirits. And so I wanted to represent the best of what could be in the wine world. <coughs> hey, wine's been made for thousands of years. You let some grapes sit out on the counter, fermentation occurs through nature. You, you don't have to get involved. Holding back and not manipulating and not doing additives, color, uh, water, sugar, whatever, uh, will reward you in the long term, but you do have to be incredibly patient. The honest truth about making wine is one of the keys is cleanliness. You have to have absolute sterile conditions in your winemaking facility, otherwise bacteria presents itself. And so it's really about being clean and letting the wine do what it does. Oftentimes when people will drink or try our wine, the greatest collectors who, you know, age their wine for extended periods of time will say, how do you get this wine so approachable? And I truly believe it's that hands-off. It's that lack of intervention and manipulation. Just let it do its thing and gently cajole it. Now, the artistry on that is the barrel choices, the barrel aging, how we do that, the cold temperature and cold stabilization that will occur. I'll back up a second. In the harvest approach, it starts there. So we actually harvest at midnight, from, from 12, 11.30 to 12 p.m. to 6 a.m. We do it under the canopy of lights. It looks like almost a movie set. And we do it because the grapes are all cold. And we want the grapes to stay completely intact without piercing the skin and pre-releasing any of the juice. Those grapes stay intact. So I'm a southern woman, so I always tell a story and an analogy. So if you buy that cluster of grapes at your market and you put it in your refrigerator, it gets a little of that kind of opaque, you know, you can almost wipe the frost off. If you left it on your counter, that's completely different. Depending on the temperature of your home, those would get very malleable. Even the weight of several clusters of that, just regular table grapes, would weigh them down, pierce the skin, some of the juice would come out. So in the winemaking <coughs> and we're harvesting tons of grapes throughout the night, we're all handpicking it. Nothing is machine harvested. We pick only the clusters that we want and appear to be perfect. And then we have them stay cold and in the winery until we're ready for the destemming process throughout the day. So it's a very hands-on, labor-intensive process, but we like to say it's love in every cluster. So well, that was a great question. Thank you. It is exceptional. But if you can get out there and see yes, it. Yes, of course. Happy to, happy to have you um, and look at that. So. I'll tell you, I think what you hear from Suzanne, this is why she's our partner. Because I think a couple of things she, she mentioned, everything's intentional. You're going to see that with us as well. Thoughtful, you know, the craftsmanship. Everything that goes in to her wine is the same way we approach and are approaching you know, our products, what we're making. And that's why you know, the relationship here, which is one that started as a friendship over dinner, being introduced by a mutual friend, our company and hers, you know, has developed into this product. And so that, like to do is we'll transition here. Let's begin now to talk about how in the wine we're going to the development of the Pfeiffer Pavit or some other company, Bourbon. And so, Steve, why don't you take us through the base product that we used and we acquired and we have here, we own 
lots of different inventories of aged bourbons. We have some from Tennessee, we have some from Kentucky, we have some from Indiana. We all know kind of the history of you know, gathering and acquiring aged product because we're in the process of making an aging our own right now. So we're using a base bourbon, much like a chef doesn't always make all of their own vegetables or grow all of their own vegetables, we're starting with a base and we're taking it and we'll talk about what we do with it to produce this great product. So Steve, take it away. Okay, thank you all. And as David said, everybody knows we don't have an aged product yet, so we did source this. But one of the challenges we had was to go through the inventories we had and to pick something that would match or would marry up with Suzanne's product, her wine. So we went through and we selected barrels. What we selected was a Tennessee product. It's a nine-year-old low-ride product that, that we used uh, when Suzanne emptied her barrels out in California. They cannot stay empty very long. If they do, the wine starts to spoil. You have a bad product, and we put our juice into a bad barrel. So what we did, as soon as she dumped them, we shipped, put them onto a refrigerated truck. They stayed below 34, 36 degrees. We shipped them express from California directly here. As soon as they got here, we filled them with this Tennessee product. Put them in the warehouse. They sat there, and we went back, what, John, about every month or two, full samples just to see how they were progressing. We would send Suzanne some samples, uh, you know, to get her thoughts on it. So we, as a, as a group, as a team, decided that a year and nine months, or about 21 months, or about 20 months, um, it was as good as it was going to get, or it was ready to be bottled. So at that point, that's what you're going to taste the, the finished product. And with you know, the finishes, it's kind of tricky, so you just can't say 18 months on a finish. Especially every every wine, as Susan explains, is unique uh, to where the, the grapes are grown, how it's processed. Um, so we, starting in month one, you really have to uh, start uh, doing uh, evaluations on a sensory. Um, I've dealt with wine finishes that have been finished at three to four months. This one, like Steve said, is a year to seven months, so right at, at 19 months. But we check it every month. Uh, Susan would actually come on site. We'd uh, do tastings here on site uh, about midway through. Uh, and we could tell this was about to hit its peak when we finally made the decision uh, to go ahead and dump these barrels. And we also send samples uh, for her team. Uh, they love um, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we send each, each sample and then Composite uh, of all the samples, also. So our team and their team was very educated on the sensory where this was and how it was going to turn out in the, in the end process. Here. And similar to wine, you know, each one of these that we do, we will not have a year and seven months or a certain period of time. We'll say it's going to be great. We will have to go in and evaluate that. And if we get another shipment of barrels from Suzanne, you know, we will still have to go in and, and see how that's coming along. I'd like to interject and say the risk of sharing, oversharing. No, no, oversharing. So when we decided to do this, that you know, all roads and connections, I think, lead to the South. I just do, maybe just because I'm from the South. So it was a Southern person that connected us several years ago. And so when we started talking about this, you know, they asked me to come back and meet with the team. Um, Steve was really interviewing me. They were all trying to be super nice about it to see if we could play together. And I was kind of interviewing him 
them too. I don't know who these people are and how they're going to handle my wine. And he said, and I don't, I don't really know anything about making Napa Cab. And I said, well, we're even. I know nothing about making bourbon. So together, as a collaborative, this is where this would get really interesting. So he said, all right, let's send a barrel, Cabernet barrel back. We'll sanitize it. We'll clean it. We'll get it all ready to rock. And we'll send it back, and you guys can put a little something. We'll play around with it, and see how it goes. Now we're the working very between. First batch we screwed yes. up the very first two. Batches. I thought I should share. Okay. <laughs> so, so we, and again, we're collaborating between you know Napa Valley, California, and Bardstown, Kentucky. And so we send them that barrel, and I don't hear anything. And you know what are we doing? I don't hear anything. And we get on the call with them. We're like, too clean. They're dry. <laughs> they smell awful. Uh, it's a French oak barrel. Um, you know, and they said, no, no, you took all the flavor. Like, we wanted some of the dregs left, like the cab juice, the stuff. Can you leave it in? I said, She said, do you want that in there? <laughs> like, Steve, with all due respect, if I ship you those barrels across the country, there will be hair growing out of them if, if we just do it regular. That is not like shipping bourbon the other direction. Okay, well, I'll do that. I said, all right, here's what we're gonna do. We got this um, plan. We're gonna have a refrigerated truck like parked at the winery as each barrel finishes and we pump out the wine and, and bottle it. We're gonna bung it, wrap it, get it on the refrigerated truck and then that person's gonna haul booty across country and get it here and you're gonna fill them. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> and That's what's unique about that, and I'm glad to share it, because in a lot of cases with wine finishes, they won't do the cold storage piece. You'll wrap it, gas it, send it. Cold storage is expensive, it's labor intensive, it's got to be right there. They went right in. When it arrived here, our team brought it right out, yep. filled them, so there was absolutely no degradation yep. in Suzanne's wine. Now let's go move to the finished product, which was the 19th finish in the Pfeiffer Pavit barrels. And so, go ahead, smell that, taste that. And Dan, talk a little bit too about kind of that product and how sure. that was thought about in terms of the cocktail too, and using it um, in the end and experiencing it. Absolutely, one of the things Steve brought up that's so fantastic is the intention of having the two companies enables us to do this exercise, which you really cannot do with most finished uh, products. So we have the wine right here, you can nose that in one hand, and then you can go right to your other hand and nose the collaboration. You can, uh, you know, really see how the flavor of this fantastic Cabernet comes through and influences this whiskey. So we knew we were using this on the base of the cocktail. Obviously, with the, the fruits that were listed um, very well um, in cocktails. You know, often with with the acid on on fruit with lemon, plain with kind of a currant is just that's that's just an easy decision there. Also with this Cabernet, the integrated tannins that you get and that kind of wonderful finish that we had on the first one is going to make any cocktail. So when we put two ounces of this with this wonderful finish that you get, we know that the cocktail is going to work. So a, a big part of it was not messing up. Yeah, please. How do you in a bourbon company know so much about wine? I, I started in wine. Wine and cocktails kind of led into bourbon. He finally made the right choice. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Deca built their wine program and of course brought and recruited our whole in-house beverage team 
down here from Louisville, and I think some of the best people regionally to join us. And so Dan and Steve, John and Suzanne, and our great culinary team, which you're about to experience some of that, are all working together in the creation of all of these products. Certainly the experience we had in putting this cocktail together, I mean, we have, in our bar team, we have a, a former chef, we have general managers of restaurants on our, on our bar team, and our mixology team. We have so much experience there, so we work together. John will come over from the distillery and sit with us while we make cocktails, and he'll he's somebody has to do it. <laughs> and give us his input on these spirits, and we can kind of build. It, it truly is a, a team effort building the cocktail uh, that we'll start with down once to be used. Uh, uh, this is the base. And Steve will tell us what not to do. Right? We push the envelope too much. Make cocktails out of it. <laughs> ice is all bourbon nades on it. Or not ice at all, just chilling. I'll share it with you when we sit down. My first uh, response to them putting my high-end Napa Valley Cabernet into a cocktail. I'll say that. something I really loved and most most distillers have very low turnover. Um, question, you're, you're putting in into the wine barrel 110.2 proof bourbon, you're pulling out 19 months later 107 proof bourbon. How does that happen, right? Yeah. So it's the lower proof of the wine that's soaked into the so wood residual wine that, in there that brings down the overall. We got that, that dregs that she mentioned, so about, yes. about two gallons of dregs and then what's soaked in that wood um, that it gets pulled out uh, when it gets uh, cold again. Uh, so that expansion contraction will pull that wine out and it'll decrease that alcohol by volume overall. Um, and it's kind of an aggregate uh, at that 107. So you got that 110.1, you got the wine at a lower proof, and together uh, they come at that cast strength, that 107 out of the barrel. Yeah, John, where was it aged? Was it on a low floor? Was it in here? Was it outside? It was, so it was on our top floor uh, of our warehouse. So And uh, we had the option to move it. Uh, so that's something we talk about every month. If, if, if we need uh, to move it down to a lower floor to kind of ease out uh, that expansion contraction. Um, but we like what we saw every month in that top floor. The, the so, great yeah. example of that too was even more severe was with the Copper and King's collaboration, white label, Muscat, was it going in like 114, 115? It came out at 94. So I mean, a huge drop because of the lower profile. 
Oh, yeah. Scott. There's one restriction that we had, though. Barrels that Suzanne uses does not fit our warehouse. So we have to leave them out of the aisle. She, she's, got, French. she's got to conform to our size. No, I'm just kidding. They were left out in the aisle and you know, we could have moved them down, yes. But, they just had to be special. So they were on the top floor and they got to see direct sunlight every day uh, being an aisle up there, too. Yeah, I think this would go very good with a uh, great steak. I did a bourbon salon out in Oxmoor the other day where I had. Uh, uh, Josh Moore, Weta Michaels, and Newman Miller out there talking about uh, burb cooking with bourbon. Uh -huh. And Josh was saying that uh, uh, bourbon goes great with any type of steak or beef, and I think this one would go real well with the Great. You know, my philosophy in the wine side of the world, people ask me these questions all the time. The stereotypical, you put a Napa cap with big steak or chocolate or, you know, fill in the blanks. And my philosophy is this. If you love the wine, you love the bourbon, and you love the food, they're going to be great. They all go together, though. Because it's all personal preference. So don't use bad bourbon to cook with your food, and don't use bad wine to place with your food, because it doesn't make either of them better. It's still <laughs> so. Just when you thought we did, you didn't have enough to drink, we got a whole other round here. That's okay. But guys, what everybody's going to see now, and we will we will step through this at a nice pace. But what you're going to see now is a snapshot of what is coming from the Bardstown Bourbon Company too. So you're going to see really part of the portfolio of several of the new products that are coming this year. Nobody has seen these yet outside of our internal team. But what you're going to hear is the story about how, again, our three teams, our distilling team, our culinary team, and our beverage team work together to create these very unique products. As it scrolls through, you'll see on the screen what they look like. So that is a, you know, you'll see the same look and feel in the bottle, you know, in the, in the way we're going to be presenting these products. But that's what's coming this year. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dan Calloway here, who is going to lead this with Steve and John. Cool. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad you guys have made it to this point, because this is one of the coolest parts of the day. What we've set out for you guys is starting with distillate, then moving towards our products that are coming out soon. Um, and what I want to emphasize before we, before we go through these is how much of a team effort this truly was. And that's why you see John, Steve, and our entire bar team here, Randy, Sam, and Javi, who all, we all worked truly together throughout this process to end up at the end of this line. So we're incredibly proud of what we've created here, and I think we're onto something very special with this approach to blending and crafting products. So, what's your barrel entry proof going to be? Um, we've tried several different entry proofs. Uh, 120 is kind of a standard. Uh, I also like 110, 115. To, to try to see it. Well, I was just wondering, you know, Stitzel Weller back in the back in the day in the 40s, you know, the 107 was their standard barrel entry proof. So we have another wheated uh, bourbon, a high wheat uh, bourbon that we're going to come out with. It's a 39% uh, wheat content. We have entry proofs at 100, 105, 107, 115, and 120 with the idea on the back side, if one's better than the other or a mix, the blends uh, of those entry proofs. Yeah. 
So we have everything in the category of what we can well, put in the Well, I think that's one of the things that makes the wheat of bourbons better is the lower entry proof because you get more of the caramels and uh, vanillas out of the wood at a lower entry proof. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what the the weeded bourbons excel at is drawing those flavors out, and that's what makes them special. When you put it in at a 125 or 120, right. in my opinion, you're getting too much, too much of the tannins, and it's just too much like a regular bourbon. So we did both sides. We did an entry proof at 120 with a char number three, and then we did an entry proof at 100, 105, 107, 115 at a char number four on the, the high wheat bourbon. So we have uh, in both both camps, uh, uh, we, we we covered it that's all right cool. there. Yeah. So I, I'd be interested for you to put one in at. 107 and a well, char number we two. We do. So, yeah. and char number two. Yeah. So, we also have, so going forward, we have toasted char number two. We're putting them in two also. That's wow. going to be so, great. And yeah. the underlying key with this is we're making such a quality disc slip with this that now John and Steve can decide a barely procedure and it's just, it just forks off like this and you can go in so many different directions when your core is at a high quality. Yeah. So, we're exploring. I, I agree. This is an excellent. It truly is. Do make it. That's why I was saying. Yeah. Consider the lower barrel entry proofs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's what's great. I think it'll make a better whiskey five, six years from now. We certainly are. So that's that's kind of our beginning. And when you took the tour, this is what it landed at. You know. So coming off, this is the end game, and it's what we build our foundation for these products off of. So we start with a distillate. Now, depending on who you talk to, some might say 50%, some might say 75%. If you talk to the barreling crew, they might say 90% of the flavor comes from the barrel. We are now going to move on to a 36% rye bourbon that has been in the barrel for two years. And the reason why we want to show this to you is to show the development that comes from two years aging in Kentucky. And I emphasize Kentucky because the climate here, as you've seen the last two weeks, 70 degrees to 4 degrees, uh, a winter where you bundle up. I came from Louisiana. Two weeks, two bundle days. Bundle up to a summer that is brutal. All that is activating the barrel. You don't have to do too many gimmicks living in Kentucky. You get all the motion you need to age something so rapidly in two years. So this is our product. It's not ready for market, but we show it as a demonstration of where we're going with this high rye bourbon. So same thing, you can look at the color. We've already kind of picked up a deep, uh, a deeper brown here, moving, you know, someone to see if Christian's in the room. Tracy, here you go, what would you call that? Amber? Who's got a amber, a rich honey amber. Uh, so you can see the color we've developed from the barrel. Two years, swirl it, and all of a sudden we're in a whole nother world of flavor that we're picking up from that charred American oak. And one thing, this will be a base for our next product we're about to try under that fusion category. This will be part of this blend you're about to uh, taste next. So we really wanted to showcase what a distillate uh, tastes here at Barstown Bourbon, uh, what two years tastes like, but that two years, instead of picking that wheat, we wanted to pick uh, to show you what we transform into that blend as one of the base products going into our fusion products, which we'll taste next. So what kind of enzymes are you using in this uh 
So some like so on this one we don't use any 12%, but obviously with 36 different mash bills that were were coming on, we use about for this one here with the four percent barley malt, you're obviously using enzymes. Yeah, so different alpha, beta, glucoamylase, but commercial enzymes, saxime. Um, so with it depends on what customer we're producing for is which enzyme we can utilize if we're really below that nine percent malted bar barley. Uh, but depending on, there's one recipe we run, 60% corn, 40% rye, no malted barley. So we have uh, diazine, we really load it up with nutrients and enzymes too. So um, enzyme package category, we're probably at the top with how many enzymes uh, we use, but we also use none on a lot of our recipes too. So we really uh, pride ourselves in being able to meet our customers' um, customization. So we're flexible and we have the experience and the knowledge here uh, to really develop a package to utilize enzymes and nutrients, any um, uh, lactrol, bacteria control, anything like that. Uh, um, uh, calcium, if we want to need to fortify the water to cut, we, we can do that or we can go the traditional route, no commercial enzymes, so we can pretty much do it all in that space when we're talking enzyme packages and nutrient packages. I came, from, right. I came from the food industry originally, so Frito-Lay, Quaker Oats a decade ago. Um, so uh, we're really driving towards uh, having all those certifications, meaningful certifications, because they actually improve your process and, and improve your procedures. And as everybody knows, improving process control uh, in distillation is key to quality. So, and some of those certifications guarantee that quality. So. Awesome. Well, so that was kind of uh, the foundation which is incredibly important, but it's also a preamble to why we're bringing you here, really, is to try these two new products that we're incredibly excited about. The first one is the Fusion Line. The concept of the Fusion Line is to show you what uh, this 36% rye in a finished product. In this case, 60% of this product is ours at two years. 40% is an older whiskey, a 10-year, are we writing this? 11-year, okay, so you're seeing the balance between those. So we're blending 11 years with two years. We used an aged rye and an aged weeded bourbon. But uh, what really speaks to the quality is that we were able to put 60% use into this product to make the fusion of the young and old. This entire team, including part of the finance uh, division, the culinary team, we were all right here in this room, series after series of scorings and tastings, different blends, different options, narrowing it down, voting, until we landed on this fusion product ready to release. And you went through having cycles, having a different. We went, so up front, we developed about uh, 29 uh, different blends uh, with uh, the aged stock we have, uh, and with our new makes, even including rye whiskey, which didn't make the cut on this first fusion. Um, but we narrowed it down, basically about 28 to 29 blends down to this blend over uh, over a, couple, uh, a few month time period. And so this actually started one night in the restaurant at the bar team, with the bar team, came down, ordered some pizza, and I was like, let's get a head start on our first Fusion product. And then it developed into classroom time. You'll see some of these pictures. So we, like they said, we involved everybody in this company. Most people have a master blender, a quality department. We made sure we got input from our culinary 
delivery team, our food and beverage team, our operations team, uh, our event manager, Beth, where she at? She was even in on these tastings. Our chief financial officer, uh, Dan Lynn, uh, David, everybody was involved in these classes and we really narrowed it down. Four classes we had, we narrowed it down to about three or four different blends where we had a final judging uh, to where this one was the standout winner. Talk a little bit about, I always found fascinating was how you use the different younger, younger whiskeys, bourbons, add different flavors that kind of change the older. So it's not all just about taking old product. It's about marrying those flavors. And that's where the beverage team and the culinary team and the distilling team really makes a very interesting synergy. It's something I love. I mean, I think there's more interest oftentimes in a product like this uh, than, than a lot of aged whiskey because you get notes. Same thing we're doing the wine, you kind of go back to the distillate and see those young notes that really, they, they, the barrel starts to dominate, and I love older whiskey, but uh, the barrel is almost like a unifier as you move through time, and it, it, it adds more barrel notes, add more, adds more barrel notes. Having a little young whiskey and different spices and, and things that really jump at you can really make a complex finish in a whiskey that is unique to this fusion idea uh, of two and ten. So it's something I'm excited about right now in whiskeys it, it is this juxtaposition of two and ten. And I think there is a future in this in this concept. We narrowed it down from 28, but there was a lot of back work, late nights at the bar with some pizza that narrowed it down to that 28. So it was a very complex, uh, fun process. So and that 20% was the first product that was Steve's original distillate, first product that was ever made here. All of the, all of the products, and with all, all of the, all of the distillates that are coming out of here, really the sky's the limit for future fusion blends and, and things we'll have access to, and the creativity we have here. I mean, this is an ongoing series uh, where we'll, we'll have the next blend, and uh, we're excited to see what what the next one will be using that what we have available. I think it's so under the fusion blend, it just won't be this fusion. It'll be the next blend number two, blend number three, blend number four. So um, it, if something does good, we'll replicate it. So, so some distilleries kind of pride themselves on not necessarily consistency, but consistency rather between single barrels, but quality. So you guys are kind of aiming a little bit more from overall quality from blend to blend rather than a, a, a brand consistency or a palate consistency from blend to blend. Yeah, for this specific product we yeah. are, uh, but when our origin series comes out, uh, we will um, uh, spend the time, consistency, quality, to replicate that origin series when it comes out. Um, so where one distillery does it this way, another one does it this way, um, we're going to kind of represent uh, many of those different paths with our releases in the next couple years with those four different uh, blends or brands of collaboration, fusion, discovery, and origin. Uh, so we're just going to touch a little bit on all of them, but uh, all the time and attention that goes to each one. Um, don't be fooled, we have four different brands coming out, right. but we focus on each of them individually as their own brand and they could stand separately if that was the one thing coming out sure. of this facility. And you're not trying to be anybody else, you're right. BBC. Exactly. Any questions to go to Discovery? Sure. Which now is really about, just is a, also about the art of blending. And this is a very interesting one because we were given, in our opinion, just such a gift to work with all these high-end products. And 
and we, we could go in any direction we wanted as far as percentage, because we knew this was going to be our, our high-end blend. There, there were really no limitations set on this blend. So we had our core Kentucky bourbons, and we were just kind of given free reign to explore all of the options. And, yeah, you were fortunate enough that we have everything from five-year-old sourced to 15-year-old sourced uh, bourbon and whiskey uh, in our inventory where re we can really um, have the opportunity uh, uh, to really um, pull from each one of those different profiles and come up with something very special. So this, this discovery doesn't have anything made uh, uh, here at this facility. It truly is the name of the brand, Discovery. We have one out and we have uh, uh, procured this bourbon, uh, whether it be uh, in cask um, or, or totes, anything. We have really um, uh, spent the time and um, uh, educating ourselves where the bourbon's coming from, getting samples is a bourbon we want to represent in one of our brands in the future, and we have put together a great portfolio of source bourbons here on site that we have. So here's a funny part of the story. So a lot of this was trying to develop products that fit for us in certain price points too. So this one we started and said, all right, we really need to develop something that fits that niche between kind of the 89 to 99. We kept going back to the team, and they kept coming back and saying, we can't do it. Not with this. It's the stuff that we have is too expensive, it's too good. We just don't like what we've been putting out of that. So we said, okay, forget about the price. Produce the best blend from the inventory we have. And we're very lucky to be able to acquire this over the last several years. And this was the result. So, so just make the best thing you can possibly make. I think when you taste this, there's something really interesting to point out. It's the same concept that I, that I think all of us really enjoy. Its core is in a certain age range, and then we put a little bit of the five-year in there and a little bit older as kind of these light touches. So you'll see a tiny bit of five-year bourbon and a tiny bit of almost 14-year bourbon on there with the core being around 11 and a half years. And it really shoots for that, that complexity that we, we're, we're always have in our heads this flavor goal. So I think we, we really achieved it on this one. This one's so, gas strength. Gas strength. So to that point though, it, I mean eventually, you know, this, the, the barrels for this, of course they're not going to exist anymore. This blend essentially is not going to exist anymore, but is this a flavor profile moving forward? Not necessarily for the Discovery series, but maybe for Bardstown Bourbon Company as a whole. Is this a profile that you guys are interested in maybe recreating or achieving again in the future? Could we see this being maybe a brand standard from the company in the future? It's interesting because I, I think these, our thought process initially uh, are these are our blends uh, delineated with numbers. You know, this is, this sure. is discovery number one. Whether or not, I think we're so young in the game of, of doing this, I don't know if we have a flavor profile identity on the discovery line. Right. I will say I love this concept of a little bit of young and a little bit of old kind of peppering on, but it could go in any direction at this point. My two cents would be um, uh, strive to be better every single year. Absolutely. So um, whether that's through uh, quality, taste, if, uh, if we can come up with something better than this discovery next year, we're going to come up with sure. it. So sure. even if this is really popular, we got something better, uh, our goal is to produce um, uh, the best quality uh, discovery fusion that we can.
so every year. So I, I think that's what speaks testament with this team. We don't get comfortable uh, with a certain profile. Uh, we don't limit ourselves. Uh, so that's why everybody's involved because we got people that haven't been in the bourbon industry uh, that are really lending great advice and outside the box uh, thinking and it really um, aids us into developing our final product which a lot of other places uh, don't go by. So I think it's uh, very much an advantage uh, to Barstown Bourbon Company how, how we're doing this right now. I like so, the fact that you're not tied to ages. Right. Uh, you know, I once did a bourbon tasting, a blind bourbon tasting for some friends of mine where I took a 20 year old ride, a 20 year old bourbon and asked him which one was which and nobody could tell me the difference because it was so dominated by the barrel. Yeah, I always tell people older is not better, better right. is better. And I really like what you're doing in the Fusion series because that young whiskey really does bring some nice flavors to that older whiskey. And so, great point on the blinds. So we didn't bring this up. So when I facilitated these tastings for everybody, I would be the facilitator uh, behind these tastings in the classrooms. All this was judged off true blinds. They had no idea what was in each of these out of those 28s. I even threw finished product in there off other people's uh, uh, bourbon out on the market uh, to try to throw them off. And um, to no avail, um, it didn't throw this team off, but I would, I would even throw uh, just random stuff in there, Kentucky Owl, Dad's Hat. I would throw random stuff in the blinds uh, to see if I could trick them. I just, I just couldn't trick anybody. <laughs> this one did come down to a tiebreaker, yep. though. There were two at the very end. If you want to take a guess of which man came in and decided the tiebreaker. <laughs> he just kind of went right in. It was done. And then we had discovery. <laughs> they were all set like... <laughs> Discovery Bowl, I don't think we're looking at having the same profile time after time after time. We're developing something that's really unique and, and good quality each time. It's going to kind of go back to the single barrel program. Right. You don't have the same flavor, same taste, barrel after barrel after barrel. You vary a little bit. So we're fine with the variations, but the quality's got to stay there. So you, you're more interested in quality, quality and, and I think to a certain degree, customer retention to just in terms of, oh, you know, ABC has been really good. DEF could very well be just as good because they know what they're doing and they have a proven track record. Right. So well, a few years ago at the Bourbon Festival, we took a wild idea. We were going to take the best product that each distillery in the in the festival hat, sure. mixed them together to make a festival product. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a festival product. <laughs> you can take good and make bad out of it. <laughs> they don't always do it. Well, I'm more excited about your fusion product than I am about your uh, discovery product because I really think that the fusion. Yeah. excites me more than yeah. the Discovery. Discovery is just another blend of, of sourced whiskey to me. But this fusion is really interesting. It's, it's very good. I don't get a lot of that young whiskey flavor to it. I get a lot of nice little nuances. I like it. I, mm -hmm. You know. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of the point. To hear that. That's Would kind of the point. Is two-year-old primarily? <laughs> No, I wouldn't guess that it was 60% two-year-old, yeah. and then, you know, and that's good, but 
you know, that, that, that proves, like, I wrote a blog the other day about blended whiskey. Um, and, you know, back in the old days, they used to do a lot of things. One thing, it didn't have as much neutral spirit. They made good blended whiskeys. This proves that even, you know, even though it's not a blended whiskey, it's a, uh, a bourbon, you can use younger whiskey and make really good whiskey just using some, you know, a little bit of old whiskey. Right. It was all about the balance aspect. Right, it's really nail, nailing yeah, down you the, the young versus the old because we very well could have came out with a, a two-year bourbon at this point, yeah. uh, but we really wanted to showcase um, our abilities as a team and really come out with this blend instead of coming out with a core year core product at two years. So we also don't have any financial pressures. Right. So from that standpoint, we don't have to race to market with anything. We're not trying to push anything out quickly. You know, we're really just trying to create the best products that we possibly can. Well, I, I got to say, you know, if this is 60% pure all two-year-old product, I think, uh, uh, you know, 10 years from now, when it's 60% your two-year-old product and 40% uh, your 10-year-old product, it's going to be even better. But at that point, <laughs> Fusion Series might be obsolete. It could just very well be Bardstown Bourbon Company. <laughs> but my, my point is that, you know, at, at that point, you're going for the quality distillate and instead of, you know, the quality blend. Well, right. but but if the quality blends are always interesting like this, yeah, sure. why would you want to discontinue it? They're Absolutely. showing what they can do with blending. They, right. all, they all could live, I mean, they all can exist for, right. you know, yeah. indefinitely sure. too, so. Right. Yeah. Well, in theory, a sourced whiskey should be the very best whiskey that you can get because if you don't like it, why did you buy exactly. it? You can say no to it. <laughs> so I can say for, for every type we have in there, we've, we've turned down samples uh, that we've had. So it's basically a blending process. So we get samples and we like we like so that no one. We don't. I have no complaints about a sourced whiskey as long as you let me know that you've did, you know, you're not claiming it for your own. Exactly. Which I don't think you all have ever done, which I don't know. <laughs> no, we won't. So you'll see, but, uh, you'll even see origin on it. So you know right. Tennessee's not, a, I mean, you'll see it. So. So you've heard some of the conversation about the products that are coming out, um, about the newest collaboration for the Bardstown Bourbon Company, but I wanted to make sure, too, that we sat down with the people who made it all happen. And you've heard some of these folks before. You've heard David, you've heard John, you've heard Steve on the podcast before uh, when we were here for the, the Bardstown Bourbon Company episode, but we have some new folks who are here. So I'm going to let you all introduce yourselves as well. <laughs> I'm uh, Dan Calloway. I'm the Director of Bourbon Education, Guest Experience, and Product Development here at Barstown Bourbon Company. Suzanne Pfeiffer-Pavitt, the proprietor and founder of Pfeiffer-Pavitt Winery in the great Napa Valley, California. So Suzanne, you kind of made, to a degree, this newest collaboration release happen because your wine was uh, the, the kind of the core for what this new flavor profile was going to be, right? So did you kind of have a palate for bourbon before you um, became associated with the, the folks here at Bardstown Bourbon Company? I'm a professional consumer. <laughs> <laughs> I am a fan of adult spirits, shall we say, or adult beverages, and um, I do love a nice bourbon amongst a few other things. Obviously, wine is my primary uh, drink of choice, but yes, the answer is I did um, I did enjoy bourbon. I'm a southern girl, so you're not <laughs> going to get too far away from that. Sure. Steve and John, what was it about this, um, this core spirit 
that kind of excited you before it, it went into the finishing process? What was it that stood out amongst some of the other products, some of the other barrels that you had to choose from? This is Steve Nally, Master Distiller. I think what stood out primarily was quality aspect. We, you know, talked with Suzanne and got to know her and know that her product is top notch. It's a premium product. Right. And that's what we wanted to introduce into the barrels that her product came out of. So, you know, we talked, went back and forth and decided that this was a good connection a good marriage that sure. you know it was good to, to join this and, and get this product in the barrels and age it right i think there's a couple things for me i, I think being um it was a high corn bourbon at 84 percent corn i think that sweetness that was lended in the high corn balanced very well um, uh, with susan's wine and that it was a it was a bourbon we had a lot of inventory of too um, so we could pick from a very large inventory the very best barrels that we could find and that's where Steve came in uh, to really use his expertise and, and pick out what barrels uh, would be utilized best for this product also. So. Dan, what was uh, your, your kind of influence on this product coming to life too? My influence was in the later, the later stages, <laughs> certainly. So I, we would test it as it developed in barrel because that always is the question sure. that... Uh, that we come across is how do you know when to pull it? How do you know when it's done? So, um, you know, as it moved along towards its final goal, especially after a year, checking in on it and, and seeing how the product developed. Which uh, and, and folks have heard up to this point, too, the fact that, you know, even though you've established the, the, the end of the product being in the barrel at 19 months, Steve has said that, you know, they're still holding a little bit back for a couple of months, maybe to see if y'all had something else that could go into it. Maybe, in Steve's words, you were wrong. <laughs> well, so, it, it was a, a judgment call that, you know, between all of us that we kept gauging and testing, tasting, and we reached the point that we mutually agreed that, okay, it's as good as it's going to get. But, you know, we're all human, we're all possibly most of us can't make a mistake but there's one or two in here that can but it, no uh, you know it, it's a judgment and then you know if you uh, save a little back and, and find out that hey it's reached this point it's not to say what we've pulled is bad it's excellent but you know maybe it's taking on some other characters that might make a little difference in it so the next time we do a uh, run, we will know, you know, maybe do a little different. Sure, sure. I think it really uh, represents our commitment to quality and innovation here. Um, we are very happy with it at 19 months. Let's hold a couple back, see what it does. Now we have baseline data going forward with, with this product at little older so we can continue to grow, we continue uh, to improve on our product, kind of like we spoke of earlier upstairs. Right. So our commitment is very much to innovation, quality, and transparency here at Bartstown Bourbon Company. Sure. No, I just was going to add that uh, we really enjoyed the product as it kept evolving. So it was this exploration, and it came to this certain point. I think we said about the 15-month point where we were all very excited, and then each month the flavor profile just kept increasing, increasing, and we got to a point saying this is a perfect combination, collaboration, if you will, of the Cabernet flavor profile presenting itself. And so ideally, we said, let's give it a try. But 
it's always good to not have regrets. So we've stilled a little away <laughs> in the case that we uh, we reserve the right to change our mind. <laughs> it's all subjective. It's all. It's, it's all, all subjective. subjective. Yes. David, what what has been the the most exciting for you in terms of like this new business venture, this new opportunity for you, not just as, you know, an enthusiast in this industry, but also as, um, you know, an, an innovator in the, in the bourbon industry, in the whiskey industry. I think the most exciting thing has been building the team that we have. And Suzanne is the newest member of that team, you know, in our collaborative distilling program but it is it's the most exciting thing has been about the team and it's been about the people you're talking to them but them obviously here with steve and john and and dan but we've built an incredible culinary team beverage team a distilling team and now all of those teams are coming together to make these exceptional products and Absolutely. i think that's one of the things that's so exciting and what you're going to see here is that there's an energy here there's a creative energy and it's different from what has uh, what has been and what bourbon has been in the past. And sure. so I think you're going to see a lot coming from us. So how did your relationship with Suzanne begin? Where, where did that origin story happen? <laughs> We've actually started um, a friend of ours who was a mutual acquaintance and on our board uh, made the introduction and okay. said... Um, you know, you've got you guys have to meet each other. You have <laughs> there's similarities. You're both Type A. You're both Virgos. You're both crazy. Um, you know, there was some of that. He's all he's also like that as well. I'm talking about Jeff Hopmeyer, who you, I'm sure you know well. But um, that's where the introduction began. Sure. And um, and we, you know, we both have we all have a passion for making exceptional things. Sure. Yeah. And I having having tried this new expression too. I feel like it is exceptional. I think that you guys really did do a fantastic job um, individually, collaboratively to make something that will achieve the heights that you all were, were reaching for too. Let's talk too, not just about this single product, but about what's coming up in the future. You know, they've, they've heard us tasting it. They've heard the conversation around it. Um, not just how it was developed or the blends that went into it. Um, but, but just why, why did this become an aspiration uh, in the Bardstown Bourbon Company? Why did the, the Fusion Series and the Discovery Series um, come to be? How did it come to be, too? It, it, I mean, the story is exactly the same as the story of this place itself. It was an evolution. I mean, there was never a starting point in which we said, this is the idea. It was a series of ideas that continually evolved. And just like this place has evolved from its origins in the collaborative distilling program and making custom whiskey and then you know, seeing the, the potential here when the law changed in Kentucky to have a sure. full restaurant and a bar and then building those teams and having those teams work together, that's where the foundation began. And right. so, the, you know, the story of the products is all about working together, collaboration, making great things, and then being able to transition from where we are now to what's coming in the future. And discovery and fusion and the origin products all tell that story. It's a journey. It's a bourbon journey to those products. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's exciting, and John, you just touch on it a little bit more too, is just the process. Because I think one of the things that amazes me, again, talking about the people, right here you have, we you know, I think we balance art and science beautifully. Sure. And you've got 
the art and the history in Steve Nally, and you have a lot of the science and kind of the younger engineering in John Hargrove. You've got the creativity of Dan Calloway. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you really have this kind of the, you know, this great juxtaposition in Steve and John, and you see that throughout everything we're doing. That really Absolutely. forms the foundation of the company. Yeah, and I think to Dave's point, we all come from different backgrounds. We have Steve who's been in the industry, who is a rock for us to learn from here. Um, he, he lends us knowledge to where we can take outside-the-box thinking and apply it and develop something here that's never been developed anywhere else before. Like I said, we don't have a master blender on site. Right. We have a master team on site. Um, so we utilize the culinary team. We utilize the food and beverage team. We utilize our partners, such as Suzanne. Uh, so we pull from a lot of different aspects of right. this industry. And this is just the core of the group. I mean, we spread out to the beverage team has multiple people. You know, the right. John's team has all the workers in the distillery with an average of 15 years' experience. You know, we we rely on their experience to get the job done. So it's not just us, it's the whole team, the whole group of people here at BBC. It's collaboration, it's the core of the BBC. That's exactly right. So I, that about does it for, for this portion of the episode. Thank you all so much for sitting down. I just wanted to make sure that we had something a little bit more specific and that you all had a, you know, a, a clearer voice when it, when it came to these products that are about to come out. So thank you all so much for- Thank you for our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I hope that you enjoyed that conversation about the Bardstown Bourbon Company. You can find more information, of course, about them on the World Wide Web and on all social media channels. Just search for the Bardstown Bourbon Company and you will find plenty of information about them. I want to say one thing before we move on uh, to, well, two things, actually, before we move on to the review of these three products. First off, if you have not gotten a chance to go and visit them yet, Absolutely 100% do. They have a wonderful restaurant on site, the Bottle and Bond Kitchen, and it's delicious. One of the best dining experiences, not just in Bardstown, Kentucky, but in the state of Kentucky. I mean, just a fabulous place to go and enjoy some food. Um, And also, secondly, I want to say thank you, of course, to the Bardstown Bourbon Company for not just sending us these samples, but also for their incredible hospitality and all the wonderful ways that they made us feel like family when we were able to go and spend the day with them out in Bardstown. So on that note, let's jump into these reviews. We are going to start out, I think, with the lowest proof one, which is the Fusion series. I believe so. Correct? Yeah. It's got the lightest color, so I'm assuming that's that's probably it. Yeah. So uh, you've heard about it already, but just kind of as a recap on the Fusion series. I'm reading from this beautiful little booklet that they sent us as well. Um, It is a blend of three different bourbons. Uh, 42% is a two-year and one-month Bardstown Bourbon Company distillate, uh, which is really fantastic. 18% is a Bardstown Bourbon Company two-year, three-month distillate as well. Um, I need to point out as well, the first distillate, the majority, is a rye mash bill. And the second one is a weeded mash bill. And then the final 40% in the blend is an 11-year, 7-month-old Kentucky bourbon with a mash bill of 74% corn, 18% rye, and 18% malted barley. 
It is a proof of 98.9. It will be available in May, and the suggested retail price is $60. I like that they added their own distillate. You said uh-huh. it's got a wheat and a Yeah, it's rye. got a wheat and a rye, so this is technically a four-grain bourbon. And I think that sweetness is coming through as well. There's a little bit of citrusiness to it. There's kind of a marshmallow note that I'm finding as well on the nose. Not quite toasted, but just kind of a marshmallow note. Yeah, I'm getting that. Uh, it's kind of like almost like a potpourri mixed with like a just normal bourbon nose. I mean, it's definitely got some of the vanilla and the cherry in there as well, but not super heavy. I'm definitely picking up on some of that cherry. Yeah. Too. It's definitely got a fruitiness about it, which, you know, for their, you know, entry, more approachable, uh, to have some of the more standard bourbon notes is probably a great idea. That is good. It's got a little bit more heat than I thought it was going to have, but... For somebody that tends to lean higher proof, I, I like that. A little bit more heat, a little bit more corn. But I think that what I'm tasting when I say corn is probably a little bit of the youthfulness from what they've put in and uh, of their own distillate. Excuse me. But it doesn't seem like it's to the detriment of the final blend itself. No, it's not. And I love that they added their own stuff because there's so many people starting out with MGP and they kind of put your own stamp on it, even if you're blending, is uh, just phenomenal. Yeah. Now that it's opening up in the on the nose, I'm starting to get kind of a like a floral note to it, kind of like a tulip almost. It's a very specific flower that I'm finding. It's good. Yeah, man. I think I do like the palette better on it, though. It does have like a lot more of the standard bourbon stuff going on with the palette. The nose is elevated, though. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I think that the palette seems to take everything uh, in, in a little bit better direction. Hey, man. How are you? Doing well. Come sit down. Oh, I will. <laughs> sorry. I'm very sorry that this was so last time. Oh, I'm tired. Yeah. Hey, man. What's up? Hey. Oh, okay. Oh, I forgot about the headphones. Yeah. Pour you a little bit of this. Um, just try it. But we'll like technically bring you in on the second pour. Okay. That we've got. Hey, man. Hey. Hey. Hi. (laughs) It's pretty good. It is very hot, though. I think it is hot, too, but I I just think that it it is not being, it's not overpowering (coughs) the, some of the sweeter notes or some of those, you know, more refined notes to it, maybe. No, it, it definitely has like a little bit of nuance to it. Which is which is great because I think that's probably been my biggest complaint with some of the new distilleries that have popped up in Kentucky. It's just a fantastic one note bourbon, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But whoever blended this was looking for that nuance because they wanted it to stand out as just a more expensive, refined bourbon. Yeah, and that's great because we need more of that. The finish. Oh, we, we haven't even talked about the finish. The finish is one of the more interesting parts of this as well. I'm finding more of a minty note 
to it as the finish is going along. I could get behind that. Yeah. It's not quite like a, it's not like a mint julep or anything, but like, kind oh, of no. that, I don't even know how to explain it. It's not even necessarily mint, but like that feeling when you get, after you had a mint, you kind of breathe out and it's kind of that, uh, chilling effect a little bit. You get some of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that this is a really good introduction to the Bardstown Bourbon Company and where their product is going to be taking them in the next few years. Sure, this is blended with another product, but at $60, basically kind of a mid-tier range, not premium, I think that this is going to really get people interested in what the Bardstown Bourbon Company is doing and will definitely define them in the future as a mainstay in the bourbon world. Absolutely. It's making me anxious for more releases from them already. I've yeah. not even had the other two on the table yet. <laughs> so, Well, speaking of the other two, uh, while we were in the middle of that review, Curtis showed up as well. What's up, guys? Hey, Kurt. How are you, buddy? Oh, pretty good. Good, yeah. Speaking on that last one, though, yeah. I kind of... You guys were saying mint. I'm getting like a... Like, even on the nose, a mint ice cream. Mm. It's more of... That's I what I'm getting. See that. It's like I walked into Cold Stone Creamery or like graters and that's yeah. what i'm kind of kind of getting all right so this next one that we're looking at uh is collaborative series number one this is the pfeiffer pavit reserve um this was a bourbon that again as you've heard that was finished in pfeiffer pavit wine barrels and cabernet barrels and it's 107 proof it is technically the base of it is Tennessee bourbon. Uh, as I said, 107 proof. Uh, suggested retail price on this one is $124.99. It is currently available in Kentucky, Florida, and North Carolina, but it will be coming soon to Indiana, Tennessee, and Illinois. Um, we'll talk about the tasting notes in a second here, too, that they've provided. We, haven't, we didn't actually do it on the last one. We'll see uh, how our notes line up with what they say. The, the nose definitely smells very wine-like. Yeah, I definitely get the wine on it. It's those, like, berry, grapey notes that you, you typically get. I don't talk about wine very well. I talk about bourbon well, but <laughs> wine, you know, I'm, it's kind of a different thing for me. But you, you can really smell the wine influence on the nose on this one. Yeah, you're getting kind of those, the dark berry, the grape... Um, you're getting some of those leather tobacco-y notes, I think, as well, from the Cabernet. Um, that's what I'm feeling. And the palette is similar to that, but it's not quite that. The finish leans a little bit more towards a wine, but I think on the palette, it's just really bold. It is, yeah. It's really in your face. Mm -hmm. um, not in a bad way by any means it's just it's just you know you're drinking something with a lot of character to it yeah definitely and i, I think one of my favorite parts about this is i have a lot of problems with wine finished bourbons kind of having a drawing effect as it goes towards the end of the palate this doesn't have it mm -mm. at all i get just a little bit of dryness really not a whole lot but just a hair to it. But you know what I'm talking about. Like oh, yeah, Some of absolutely. them, it's just like, it immediately takes yep. everything out of your mouth. It's crazy. But S this, this 
I like it. It does have quite a bit of the wine influence on the finish. That's where I'm getting it yeah. mostly. It's really, I'm getting it bookend. Mm-hmm. So I am too. on the nose, you get the wine. On the finish, you get the wine. In the middle, that's where you're getting the bold flavor of bourbon. It's it's very berry heavy on the palate, I would say. It's like berries and toasted marshmallows. I'm not getting a whole lot of quote unquote typical bourbon flavors. No, I'm not either. But that being said, that is not to the detriment of this product either. I, I think that this is one of the most interesting finished bourbons that I've ever had. And you know, the, the the price is a little bit high for some people. I totally understand it. But what you're paying for is, you know, the fact that it's gone through that extra step of production. So if you have the money for it, I would say, yeah, I would I would probably shell out the, the cash for this one. If not, I would say maybe try it at a bar. You know? Yeah, I definitely would recommend trying it at a bar. Unless you are really as long as you have the money, but also specifically looking for a finished, a really quality finished bourbon. Um, if you were just like, oh, I'm trying to get into finished stuff. This is not it. Yeah. Like, don't show that money. This out. is definitely a next step in finished products. Mm-hmm. So, I totally, I'm, I'm on board with this one. I like it quite a bit. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, their tasting notes, they say it's voluptuous succulent has bold notes of plums milk chocolate and blackberries i can see i could definitely see the milk chocolate and the plums don't know if i'm so much picking up on the blackberries necessarily i i get i mean i like i said i'm tasting berry yeah flavors but i don't know if specifically for me it's blackberries see i wasn't getting the milk chocolate I was more the plums, the black cherry. I think the the milk chocolate for me. Or the me, blackberry. Sorry. Yeah. The, I think the milk chocolate for me is kind of in terms of the mouthfeel. So that, that creaminess okay. that I'm, I'm feeling, maybe I'm interpreting that in the wrong way. Maybe I am actually tasting milk chocolate, but what it's being translated to on my palate is just a creaminess. I don't know. I could get that. But, yeah. Yeah. I'm on board with the, on the uh, mouthfeel of it. Yeah. For yeah, sure. I'm the same way. I'm not getting like an overwhelming chocolate, but when you're talking about the mouthfeel portion of it, I could I could get behind that. Mm-hmm. For sure. So again, recommend if you have the money for it. I definitely think it's um, very voluptuous. It is indeed voluptuous. <laughs> I agree. That was a very good tasting note that they provided. Okay, so we are now moving on to Discovery Series number one, uh, the final of the three new releases from the Bardstown Bourbon Company. This is five percent of a Kentucky bourbon that's aged 13 years, 75% of Kentucky bourbon aged 11, 19% of Kentucky aged 10 years, and a 10% that is a five-year-old product. Uh, suggested retail price is $129.99, and the proof is $121.21. It is available in June in Kentucky, Florida, and Northern California, and it will be coming soon to Indiana, Tennessee, and Illinois. Before I even nose it, I just want to point out how oily this bourbon is. The legs on it are insane. Oh, phenomenal. It's not even like legs so much as it is just a solid coating just all the way the around the glass. Yeah, absolutely. All three of those noses have such a unique... They absolutely do. ...nose to it. Yeah, I um, totally agree. It's just light and fresh, even with 
it being like 120 yeah like a higher proof and and the oldest product in it is 13 years but the majority of the product in it is 11 years so you would think that there would be a little bit more oak that's coming through a little bit more of the age but it's not necessarily showing through Mm-mm. not that that's a bad thing not that no. it's not showing the the charred character of it and everything it's just it's a lot more airy than i think i would have anticipated yeah. going into it there's some floral notes in it for sure on the nose um kind of like just a a like fresh cut grass like some springiness to it like wind well. through your hair kind of i know yeah I, I think that that's totally totally fair there's a like almost like a straw note that i'm kind of finding on the nose mm-hmm. as well it's just all very earthy yeah me. it's like you're kind of out on the farm a little bit yeah and absolutely you're, you know the the combine you just harvest it it's like right after harvest i feel a right a little bit of caramel on the nose too yeah also. Wow. That finish. That palette. It goes All of it. and goes and goes. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. That's insane. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. This is where the the age comes through. The age and the proof is mm-hmm. on the palette and the finish. The palette starts off a little bit slow, but then it kind of rolls into all of these really big, bold flavors that I'm a huge fan of. I'm really enjoying this one. Yeah, and I'm super surprised, too, because, like, the proof doesn't show until it starts to kind of, like, sit in your throat a little bit and that Kentucky hug sets in. Yeah, yeah. And then it just kind of spikes up a little bit, which is great because there's I know there's so many people that the second that they take a drink of high proof bourbon, they're just like, oh, nope, immediately it's not mm. for them. And this one, it kind of sits in, gives you that warm, you know, feeling in your chest. It's it's really interesting. I think this is going to be one of those that I could probably open this bottle and go back to it every two weeks, and I might have a different experience. I could definitely see that happening. I'm getting a little bit more heat on my second sip than I was on the first. A little bit more fruitiness to it as well. There's kind of like almost a strawberry note to it that I'm picking up on on the palate. But yeah, man, that finish is absolutely phenomenal. It's literally, it just rolls into that finish. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the heat on it, I don't even want to consider it heat. It's just like it's just a spice. Like a spice and yeah. warming feel. It's nothing too overpowering. Yeah. It's really solid. My only drawback on this is that it is a little bit dry on the it, it, as it's moving towards the, the finish, which is, that that's my only complaint. I think otherwise, it's absolutely delicious. Mm. I can understand why it's at this price point. I can too. And I think it's good too, because there's not a whole lot of people that are, you know, entering into bourbon that are thinking you know i'm willing to drop this kind of money on a bottle yeah so when you have people that are experienced and looking for the nuance and the long finishes and the high proof point charging a little more seems reasonable because they they know what they're getting into you know this reminds me quite a bit of some kentucky owl releases yeah i even got it's not necessarily like a Booker's note, but just the kind of heavy spice you get from a Booker's. Uh-huh. I get that. It is a totally different spice, though. I have to point that out. Mm-hmm. There is not 
in my opinion, a, a huge amount of nuttiness on this that you right. usually get with Booker's. But as far as like a kind of a spice note, a lot more of like a baking spice almost. Yeah, I think so too. It, I get that quite a bit. And it's not a spiciness. It's not like no, like a pepper, or yeah, like kind of that. Kind it's of a spice. spice. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally get that. Their tasting notes were uh, the hints of youthful bright spice and deep oak age add layers of depth and complexity. I think that's kind of an Spot understatement, on. honestly. <laughs> I think that there's lots of depth and complexity to this one. But, man, th- this is... It's interesting, and probably a good thing, that at the price point, it's the best out of the three. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the best out of the three. Do you guys agree? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Glad sure we wasn't t- alone on that Glad one. we talked about that. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> Clear that up. Well, again, before we wrap up this episode, I just want to say thank you so much to the Bardstown Bourbon Company for sending us these samples. Very gracious of you. We look forward to all of the things that you have coming in the future. I think that you guys have great things ahead of you. We got a couple things left to do before we get out of here. First and foremost is everybody's favorite segment, Tips and Bits, where we recommend stuff for people. Doesn't have to be bourbon or whiskey or whatever. Who wants to go first? Before we all go, can we just recommend in-game as like a group? Oh, I, <laughs> that was mine, so yes. Okay. I've seen it twice now. Really? I saw it on Friday and I saw it on Sunday. I yep. haven't seen it haven't yet. haven't seen it yet? But I've been it's told okay. it's really good. I won't spoil a single thing for you. I've not seen it. I literally have tickets twice this week. <laughs> yeah, like I'm going good. two different days. Oh, I thought you meant like I had tickets twice and you didn't go. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> What no, happened? Wasted money. <laughs> Tuesday yeah. and Thursday, I have tickets to go see it at two different theaters. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great, man. Is that your I, it's collective? I think. I think. Yeah. My, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it it's pretty. definitely mine. Look, man, they they made a billion dollars this weekend. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of money. It's ridiculous. It's insane. The movie theater next to, like, near my place, is staying open twenty four hours just to show more. Goodness oh my gracious, that's crazy! I've never seen them do that. Avatar came out and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, it's pretty cool." You know, I made tons of money and they didn't stay open twenty four hours. Endgame comes out and there's people waiting in line. How for- is Avatar the highest grossing movie of all time? That's wild. James Cameron. I mean, it's good. Yeah, it was the the effects of it and everything. I it was the tech fair. It was the technology that was went into making the movie. Okay, that's fair. All right. Do you have anything else to add to Tips and Bits? I think that's pretty solid. Yeah. Avengers Endgame. Go check it out. It's going to be great. I'm, <laughs> I'm be trying a- to think of if there's anything else. That's been about all for my, my life this past week has been getting hyped up for Endgame. So. It has crashed my social media. Yeah, mine I can't too. see anything. Yeah. The second I see Endgame or any of that, I've got even filters set to like not show me any of that stuff. Oh, <laughs> I mean, like there was a solid two days where I, I mean, aside from like podcast stuff, I didn't even go on the internet. Yeah. Because I just didn't want to learn anything about it. Or well, it was either the Endgame or Taylor Swift. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Both of those. I haven't watched that music video yet. It's good. All right. Fair enough. Well, that about does it for us. Where can people find you all on social media if they would like to do that? On Instagram, you can find me at KurtCon. On Twitter, Kurt underscore Con 15. All right. I'm on Instagram at the Bourbon Finder. And that's it. (laughs) I need to be better at keeping up with stuff. We'll get you there. (laughs) I'm working on it. I know you are. Uh, personally, I am at PRitter1492 on all social media channels. If you'd like to follow up with the show, we are at My Bourbon Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Go follow us. 
Share some posts. Tell your friends about the show as well. That really does help us out. Give us a five-star rate and review on iTunes. Maybe we'll start reading out some reviews on the, on air, too. So if you'd like to leave a review, we would definitely love to see that. Five stars, please. You can check out all of our apparel and merch at bourbonshop.threadless.com. We have free shipping going on right now with the code FREESHIPBC19. So be sure to do that. We have the Facebook group going pretty strong right now. This is my bourbon group. I do a live stream every Thursday night on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash this is my bourbon podcast, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or daylight? I don't really know. I don't know how that stuff works. Anyway, youtube.com slash this is my bourbon podcast. Every Thursday night, I do live streams over there. And then finally, patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show, keep things going. And that really is important to us. And we thank everybody who is a patron of the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you all so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. We will see you next week. But until then, I'm Perry. I'm Curtis. And I'm Swan. And this is my Bourbon Podcast.